is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. This is the very first episode of 2024. So I figured we might as well rip off the Band-Aid and acknowledge the reality that, yes, there will be a U.S. presidential election this year. There is so much we could unpack about all of that, but I wanted to just start that conversation, get those wheels turning with an Unladies Room bonus episode I recorded back in October that answered a question from an Unlady that had also been on my mind as well. And it is the Kamala question. If everyone is so on edge about Joe Biden's fitness to run again, much less serve another term, wouldn't it make some kind of sense for him to, I don't know, step aside and make way for maybe America's first black female president, setting aside her in the Senate and especially her record as a prosecutor in California, because there is plenty to critique in all of that. But that's not really what we're focusing on this episode. The way that I went into this, just so that y'all have the context, is looking solely at what has happened to Kamala Harris's profile as she has been vice president, how it started and how it's going now. So before I get totally ahead of myself, here is the bonus episode. And thank you to every Unladies Room member and Patreon supporter for making this episode possible. And to the American people, no matter who you voted for, I will strive to be a vice president like Joe was to President Obama, loyal, honest, and prepared, waking up every day thinking of you and your family. Because now is when the real work begins. But America is ready, and so are Joe and I. Imagine me wearing some Rachel Maddow oversized glasses for today. Fun ladies, we're headed to Washington. Might need to work on my Rachel Maddow. This Unladies Room episode was inspired by one of you, an unlady named Andrea, who wrote in in late August and said, Hi, Kristen. Hi, Andrea. I've been listening for years, and I've shared many of your episodes with my daughter. She's a freshman in college this year, and because of you, I feel like she's prepared for almost anything. Let's pause for a cry break. Okay, thank you, Andrea, for making my life. Of course, she's prepared academically, but she's prepared in other ways, too. She knows her rights as a woman, how to protest and even yell for what she wants, how to fight the patriarchy, how to stop gaslighting, and how to encourage the unladies around her. Proud mama, you bet I am, as you should be, Andrea. Your podcast helped start conversations with her that I might have been too unsure to do on my own. You've been so important in preparing the next generation of unladies, and they're going to blow us all away. Okay, now let's pause for cry break number two. These are the things that keep me going. Truly. Thank you, Andrea. (laughs) I also have a question. All right, now we're getting into it. 
We're all worried about Joe Biden's electability in 2024, but no one mentions Kamala Harris. What is wrong with her politics that no one wants to put her out in front or encourage her to run? I know they try to keep her under wraps, but I'm just not sure why. Can you figure it out and let us know? To which I told Andrea, first of all, uh, thank you for the incredibly moving email and for this question, because it is one that I've been thinking about as well. Surely, right? Kamala Harris, totally qualified, even if you don't agree with all of her politics, doesn't she seem like a more viable, vital, potential Democratic primary candidate compared to Joe Biden? I mean, the thing is, let's just tick off a few of her resume highlights. She comes in with more than 20 years as a prosecutor, which some on the progressive side consider to be negative baggage for sure. She was San Francisco's district attorney. She was California's attorney general. She spent four years in the Senate where she served on the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees, two very important committee appointments. And the thing with Kamala's career is that it has been a series of firsts. She's very well acquainted with being the first. She was the first black woman elected to district attorney in California. She was the first woman attorney general of California, also California's first black or South Asian attorney general. She was also the first South Asian American elected to the Senate and only the second black woman elected to Senate, which, oh, man, I mean, that that in and of itself, all of these firsts still say so much about the answer to this question of why not her. And lest we forget, in the lead up to the 2020 Democratic primary, In late 2019, the Biden camp pulled what I think is a pretty wise move. They put a story out that was basically like, don't worry, folks. Listen, if elected, Biden wants to be a transitional leader. He's going to get democracy back on track, get us through COVID, and then go peacefully into the night, right? He's going to be a one-term president. Now, of course... Biden himself did not run on being a one-term president because that would put him in a much weaker position. And that could also, if he were in office, kind of term, turn him automatically into a lame duck president. But it was helpful to to be reminded that, OK, wait, 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 I'm, I'm not making this up. I could have sworn that there was just a general sense that whether Biden would run for re-election was totally up for debate, that there was a very real chance that he would step aside and make way for his Veep to presumably be the Democratic candidate in 2024. In fact, here's what a campaign advisor told Politico in late 2019. If Biden is elected, he's going to be 82 years old in four years and he won't be running for re-election. And I'm wondering now, like, Was that all fake? (laughs) Or whether that conversation happened at all when 
Biden was first in talks with Kamala Harris to join as Veep. But I'm getting ahead of myself because one thing that we need to do is demarcate favorability because so much, so much of this political season is about vague polling, who's favorable, who's unfavorable, what's the chance that someone might win. And I take all of these stats with a big grain of salt. For one thing, America is so politically polarized that no one, no one is a runaway standout favorite. You know, it, it's everyone is so hardened into our, unfortunately, <laughs> extremely binary political party system. But things started off on, on an optimistic note. I may be the first woman in this office. I will not be the last. So let's look at their favorability at inauguration. So January 20th, 2021, things didn't start off great, okay? 48% of American voters viewed her favorably. 44% viewed her unfavorably. What's interesting, too, is that if you look at public opinion polling, the biggest uptick really was between Biden naming her as his vice presidential candidate and election day. People were like, "Okay, we like this. I, I yes, she seems she seems capable. He is a self-described gaff machine and here is this seasoned prosecutor who laid waste to him one night during the Democratic primary debates. And the Kamala coverage around inauguration was very optimistic. Over at Vox, you have Kamala Harris is poised to be a historic and influential vice president. All right, keep that in mind. Poised to be historic, sure, and influential. And that influential part is really key because the actual power of any vice president is ultimately up to the president. And I'm saying this not just based on my many watchings of HBO's Veep, but the vice presidential role in U.S. politics has always been one, not necessarily in the background, but the president is supposed to maintain center stage. If the vice president takes on too much prominence, it's probably not a good thing. I mean, if we think about in, you know, modern times, like the most powerful vice president who comes to mind is Dick Cheney, because that man was basically like waging war on his own. You know, like we we don't want another Dick Cheney in the White House. But Vox reporter Lee Zhao says... Kamala Harris might walk into a more influential role because she would be one of just a handful of vice presidents to preside over a 50-50 Senate, which means that she gets to be the tiebreaker in the upper chamber. And since then, Kamala Harris has ended up casting more than two dozen tiebreaker votes in the Senate, which also 
before the midterms when the Democrats gained a the narrowest of majorities in the Senate. It required Kamala to stay close to D.C. when Congress was in session because if things got stuck, she would need to pop over to the Capitol and break the tie. Going into the White House, Joe Biden also was very vocal about wanting Harris to be his top advisor, the last person in the room. He compared it a lot to his relationship as vice president with Barack Obama. And Harris's then press secretary said she's walking into this office as a full governing partner to Joe Biden and is completely aligned and supportive of his priorities. But you have people like Howard University political science professor Kenesha Grant saying, I am hopeful Kamala Harris is able to translate her lived experience at the intersection of race and gender into policies that are sensitive to the lives of everyday people. And the reality is, like, whatever Kamala Harris's politics are, whatever her exact policy stances are, The fact that a Democratic woman and a woman of color is suddenly in this historic, highly visible role that immediately made her an even bigger target for sexism, racism, misogynoir. I mean, just look at Michelle Obama, Stacey Abrams, AOC, all the squad members like It is not a kind world out there if you are a visible woman of color, especially in Democratic politics, because Republicans are fucking racist. Okay, let's just say it. And some Democrats, too. I mean, don't get me started on the allegedly liberal white women in Georgia who nevertheless refused to vote for Stacey Abrams because she seemed too radical. The L.A. Times reported earlier this month, as Harris's stature has increased, so is the volume of sexist, violent and misogynistic attacks against her on social media, with researchers finding hundreds of thousands of examples. So going into the White House, supporters were cautiously optimistic and also aware that there were already major obstacles standing between Kamala Harris and raising those favorability levels. But then comes June of 2021. And this is when public opinion shifted to more unfavorable than favorable. And a lot of this has to do with a Lester Holt interview. I'll play a clip from it that will probably sound familiar in just a second. But once she gets into the vice presidency, Biden assigned her to, among other things, immigration, specifically at the U.S.-Mexico border. And she was tasked with, you know, just a really simple job of lowering the numbers of folks entering the U.S. See also our episode on green card marriage and the construct of borders. So Kamala Harris is given this very high profile 
piece of Republican red meat as well, like linking Kamala to immigration, like that also just immediately made her even more of a target for Republicans to blame her for our open border and and migrants just coming in, running across the border into the United States, our land of hopes and dreams. Finally, in the summer of 2021, she takes a trip down to Guatemala. Record numbers of Guatemalans had been fleeing towards the U.S. to seek asylum. Sometimes they would then be turned away by the Mexican government and left in very remote areas of Guatemala. Other times they might get to the U.S. border or even cross it and then be sent back. And this was, as things often are at the U.S.-Mexico border, this was a humanitarian crisis. And yet... The most authoritative message the vice president delivered on that trip was this. Do not come. Do not come. Not exactly a great soundbite for your first foreign trip as vice president. In the New York Times' reporting on this moment in the Guatemala trip, they said, Quote, Ms. Harris, whose own aspirations to the presidency are clear, was tapped by Mr. Biden to invest in Central America to discourage the vulnerable from making the dangerous journey north. But that bit, Ms. Harris, whose own aspirations to the presidency are clear. But on ladies, they would not be clear for long. Then she does this interview while she's in Guatemala with Lester Holt and you know what Kamala Harris is not always so great with? Same, and same with, same with Joe Biden. Not the best off-the-cuff question answerer. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, I'm here in Guatemala today I, at some point. You know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this, whole, this, whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Now, Andrea mentioned, like, the administration kind of keeping her under wraps. After this Lester Holt interview, oh, yeah, she was very much kept under wraps. And, and I think partly because she wanted to be kept under wraps. It was a huge misstep, highly publicized. And she, at that point, was not only losing favor with even more Democrats for coming across so callously to would-be migrants, but also her just seeming like... I've never been to Europe. Like, what? What are you what are you talking about? Just seeming like she is totally out of the loop on the immigration front. Obviously, uh, she hasn't solved that problem. And I think that once the Lester Holt interview happened, her public profile on that was retracted a bit. Now, in the meantime, there have also been numerous stories about, again, her mismanaged presidential campaign, disgruntled ex-staffers. Like, it, it does remind me a lot of the Amy Klobuchar story about the salad fork 
what happened with the salad fork? I don't even remember what went down with Amy Klobuchar being like a heinous boss other than did she brush her hair with a salad fork or am I now mixing up? Amy Klobuchar with Ariel, the little mermaid. I'm not sure. And while I do think that, no, it's not cool for any any boss to create a hostile working environment. In the case of both, you know, Klobuchar and Harris, I do think there is a bit of a sexist double standard at play where a story that lends any credence to a woman being unlikable plays so much more than the same story about a man. Because also the same story about a man is probably not even going to be a story. So I would say that her vice presidency got off to a rough start, okay? How it's going now in October 2023... (sighs) not great. It's not great. Her favorability has dropped to 39%. Some stats put it even lower. 55% of voters have an unfavorable perception of her. And her net favorability has actually dropped slightly more than Biden's. Which is kind of wild. But I got to say more recently, in terms of the Biden-Harris administration's response to abortion rights, Kamala Harris has been a lot more vocal. She has not gotten nearly as much press on that as she has for, you know, what went down in Guatemala But especially compared to, oh, won't even say the word abortion, Joe, Kamala Harris has been much more visible and full-throated. And in the lead up to the midterms, she did correctly calculate that like, hey, you know what? Like this might even be a taboo topic for some women, but it's something that I know a lot of women care about and it is going to drive people to the polls. And I'm not scared to talk about that and make that the election issue of the midterms. And I also don't think there is enough credit given for the fact that a red wave that was anticipated for the midterms didn't happen. And part of the reason it didn't happen is because abortion did bring people out to the polls. One kind of basic context question this raised for me, too, is whether vice president is really a stepping stone to president? Or is it just straight up like a hierarchy thing? It turns out, thank you, Wikipedia, that less than half of vice presidents have gone on to run for president, which is actually lower than I thought it would be. And it also looks like vice presidents who then go on to win the presidency That has been more common in modern U.S. history. So there's Richard Nixon, who was Dwight D. Eisenhower's vice president. There's George H.W. Bush, George Sr., who was Ronald Reagan's vice president, and Joe Biden, who was Obama's vice president. But of course, when Obama was leaving office in 2016, he actually advised Biden not to run 
For one thing, the Democratic Party was kind of coalescing behind Hillary Clinton and Biden's son, Beau, had recently died. And Obama was like, no, I really, really think you should sit this one out, my dude. And as we've already seen in the race for the Republican nomination, being a recent vice president does not necessarily give you a leg up either. Thus said Mike Pence, who has already dropped out. But what I was not expecting when I when I started sleuthing around to answer Andrea's question is that there are now more calls for Harris to step aside than Biden. So there were a handful of opinion pieces and political stories, especially in September, that were along the lines of what Eric Levitz wrote in New York Magazine, the case for Biden to drop Kamala Harris. And Levitz's argument was, look, here's the thing. If we look at polling, one thing that is clear, one crystal clear nonpartisan (laughs) statistic, although I'm sure it shifts like with partisanship, yes. But what is very clear is that the vast majority of Americans are concerned about Biden's age and question whether he is physically and mentally fit enough, not just to run for re-election, but to serve potentially a second term. And on top of that, in preliminary polls that match up Biden v. Trump, 2024. Oh, God, y'all even just saying that out loud. Even in those kinds of polls, Biden wins by razor thin margins. And this is razor thin margins up against a Republican nominee who is fully up to his toupee in federal and state indictments. Like, what? Levitz writes, however bad Biden's numbers are, though, Vice President Kamala Harris's look worse. And so this is the the numbers that the get Kamala out folks <laughs> often cite are the are the favorability numbers that like, look, she's unpopular. She's extremely unpopular. She's even less popular than Joe Biden. And on top of that, her campaign in the Democratic primary in 2019 wasn't exactly promising. When she started out seeking the Democratic nomination for president, she had 15 percent support second in place to Joe Biden. And when she dropped out of the race, though, she was barely ahead of Andrew Yang, polling at just 4 percent. And so kind of the, the TLDR of what Eric Levitz in New York Magazine says is that, look, if Biden were to step aside... Harris's favorability is so low that it would invite a contested Democratic primary and and we could end up with an even worse candidate. The surer bet is on Biden because we know he can beat Trump. But also, the thing is, though, it's like, and, I, and I'm not and I'm not out here like caping for Kamala. I do think 
part of why Joe Biden won is because his campaign planted the seeds in our mind of a one-term president. And I also find it so rich that Democratic Party insiders are, are so snide about Kamala and are like, you know what, she just hasn't done enough. In a February New York Times piece, a Democratic fundraiser bigwig said, I can't think of one thing she's done except stay out of the way and stand behind him at certain ceremonies, which not true. And also, that is part of the job description. It's like the Democrats who don't want Kamala are conveniently forgetting the historic role of a vice president, which is essentially to lay low. To lay low, do what they're told, and follow along. And for the most part, Kamala Harris has done exactly that. I mean, how well she's done it, you know, that's another question. But Republicans are already stoking racists with fear-mongering of, oh, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for President Harris. Do you want a black woman in the White House? That's what they're saying. And I think it's so hilarious, too, that Republicans are like, oh, this woman is like a radical leftist, where it's like... (laughs) She could not be less radical, y'all. You just think she's radical because she's a woman of color and she's a Democrat. And speaking of the GOP, we must acknowledge the absolute absurdity of even questioning that whether Harris is prepared to possibly step into the presidency if Biden wins re-election and has to leave office when slightly less than half of the fucking country in 2016, voted a felonious reality TV star into the White House. And I do agree with Eric Levitz at New York Magazine that Biden's age is his biggest liability in this race because his age will only center even more attention on Kamala Harris and this question of, well, are you ready? Are you ready to step up? Are you prepared? Have you all had conversations about this? And, you know, political historians, based on what I've read, say in that regard, any administration (laughs) has succession talks. Because, hello, I mean, think about the assassination of JFK. Like, even young presidents can die, okay? And things are already in place for a vice president to step in. In any other scenario, that would be a moot point. But because America is so, so worried about Joe... Kamala is getting even more shit, even more shit than she already does by virtue of the identity that she walked into the White House with. And so all of that now is going to be magnified. And, you know, Unlady Andrea really had her Unlady finger on the pulse. And that is not a masturbation euphemism because the Kamala question, I think, is is only going to be asked more and more and more and more. The fact that Kamala Harris is slightly more unpopular than Joe Biden, like just a little bit. I mean, Joe Biden is a very unpopular president. But the fact that she's 
a little bit more unpopular based on those polls. She's the worst. She is the albatross around his 80-year-old neck. That's America. And I do think, too, that Hillary Clinton's run as, again, going back to favorability, like, She ran as the least popular majority party presidential candidate in history. And that loss, I think, still has the Democratic Party spooked. And the country has become even more partisan since. (sighs) Oh, but I mentioned on Lady Andrea perfectly timed this question because Things really like the 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 Kamala question really got heated up in September after she wrote in. And as I was compiling the notes for this on Ladies Room, The Atlantic published a long read headlined The Kamala Harris Problem by Eliana Plot Calabaro, which is worth a read. I will say, like I saw the headline, I was like, oh my God, okay, let me guess her unfavorables or too much and Joe's old and can she step in? And there was that awful Lester Holt interview. But because Calabro actually gets an extensive sit down with Kamala Harris and brings in much more nuanced context and reporting of her time as vice president, also her time as prosecutor and and what the problem is and is not. Um, But Yeah, get ready, because I think that we might be talking about Kamala Harris more than Joe Biden over the next year. And I don't think that Kamala Harris wants that. That's the thing. Like, she is fully between rock and hard place. And the big question that I'm still left with, y'all, is where are the potential Democratic candidates we could get excited about? I, I know there's Lauren Underwood, there's Cory Bush, there's AOC. Like there, I, I know there are people out there, but I'm talking about someone who people are backing, someone who has a progressive vision for this nation and isn't afraid to voice it or is not poised to simply be muzzled by the Democratic Party. <sighs> Y'all, this question got me real worked up. Would love to know what y'all think. If you've stuck with me this far, thank you. Because I I think all of us are probably just in full body clench for this next election. It's sad that there isn't a more dynamic conversation and political debate going on on the Democratic side. Because right now the debate is just, should Kamala quit? Should Biden find a new Veep? Is Biden too old? When it's like, fuck. We need to talk about actual policy, people. Okay, and ladies, what do y'all think? And also, are there any worthwhile unladylike conversations to be had about the upcoming presidential election? Truly. Or... If there is something totally unrelated, not political at all, (laughs) that you would like for Unladylike to examine, unpack, as I often say, let me know. 
It's January. There's a whole whole new year ahead of us. So let me know what you want to hear. Hello at unladylike.co is the email address. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. Please consider supporting the show by becoming an Unladies Room member over on Patreon. For $5 a month or more, you get two monthly bonus episodes. And more importantly, you are ensuring the survival of an independent feminist podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia or go on the Patreon app and search unladylikemedia. And come on in. Unladylike is an Unladylike media production. That means it is executive produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Mixing and mastering by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe.